You've heard of Grammarly, and you might think it's a fancy spell check, but people on your team have been using it and loving it for years because it does way more than you realize. Grammarly is a secure AI writing partner that works seamlessly across apps and websites and can write an instant first draft in a few clicks, not a few hours. When every word your team writes is clear, concise and on brand, companies can save 19 days per employee per year. Learn what better writing can do for your company at Grammarly.com. Grammarly. Easier said, done. To address our new climate reality, the world needs radical solutions. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment, hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. From the heart of where innovation, money, and power collide, in Silicon Valley and beyond, this is Bloomberg Technology with Emily Chang. in San Francisco, and this is Bloomberg Technology. Coming up in the next hour, Bitcoin set for its worst quarter in more than a decade, sliding more than 6% to below $19,000 for the second time in two weeks. What it means and how low can it go, we'll discuss. Plus, Washington is finally taking note of sexism. That's one rampant in the tech industry where women have been long underrepresented. I'll be joined by Congressman Stephen Lynch on the heels of a hearing he chaired on, quote, combating tech bro culture, what he thinks Congress can do to help fix the problem. And airlines are canceling flights up and down the board as they struggle to keep up with rising demand. We'll talk about what's ahead for the busy 4th of July travel week and the future of travel in a post-pandemic world. All of that in a moment, but first I want to stick with the current market moves, market turmoil, bring in Upholdings' Robert Cantwell to talk about the pain that most investors are feeling. The S&P suffering its cruelest first half since Richard Nixon's presidency. Ouch, that is a dismal statistic, Robert. Look, we talked last about a month ago. Have your feelings changed given that we're continuing to see red on the screen? Well, it's gone up and down uh, since we last spoke, but we're basically exactly where we were about a month ago. And as you mentioned, this is the worst quarter for the S&P since the first quarter of 2020 that we saw. Uh, and it's been, it's been particularly uh, painful for investors. One of the things we were talking about before was this revaluation of tech companies and are some of these still gonna be considered tech companies, Netflix or Facebook? And one of the things that uh, we think is happening right now is really this is the end of the consumer internet boom. And meta being relegated into the value bucket is probably one of the crowning signals of that. And there's, that's perfectly fine, but then well, where's the growth gonna come from in technology? And where we see it coming from is in enterprise cloud. And the data that we're seeing today tells us that where the digital advertising industry was back in 2017 is very similar to where the cloud enterprise software uh, industry is today. So do you put Meta in the value bucket? Is, is the growth era for that company over? 
Well, it might actually be a great thing for investors uh, if, if people really do value it as a value stock, because there's very few value stocks with that type of margins and growth rates going forward. So Meta is far from a from a dead you know company as far as we're concerned. It, I think the, the inability of the business to make acquisitions over the past few years has really hurt it. And I think that's going to be one of the biggest questions going forward is that the regulatory environment for Meta has quietly improved. And if that is a sign of things to come, uh, we think that will continue to help the stock in addition to the fact that it's just so darn cheap. Interesting. But don't you want growth to come from innovation and not acquisition? Well, you know, you can't fight capitalism. Uh, they sure Meta is going to develop plenty of products that some are going to work, some aren't. You know, their 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 marketplace business generates a little bit of money for them today. They're finding new ways of onboarding advertisers through that. And as long-term investors, yeah, of course you want the the products to be built. But there's just there's too many. You can we you know we talked about you know Pinterest being such an uh, such an attractive takeout candidate. The amount of time and investment that it would take to recreate. Twitter to recreate Pinterest to recreate you know what you saw you know with the LinkedIn acquisition at Microsoft we think there's just too many attractive assets in the market right now to justify having to build things from scratch when you can just bolt them together and make a stronger company so how are you parsing out the enterprise software category? It's really easy to understand what Meta is. You, you know, it's easy to see Instagram and WhatsApp and uh, the Blue app and you know, how all of those things fit together. But when it comes to enterprise software, it's a lot more confusing. How do you distinguish between what's a good play and what's not? It, it, it is a lot more work uh, because you don't get to just use the products yourselves. You've got you've to talk to the executives and the companies that are using them. Uh, one of the, the biggest trends in enterprise technology has been this move from systems of record, so Oracle and Salesforce that are basically complex databases, into systems of action. And so this is the service nows of the world. This is data happens in the company, that data runs through some system, and then that system tells an employee or another piece of software what to do. So these systems of action are incredibly powerful. There's a lot of lock-in. And we're still relatively early in the curve. You know, was, you had a great interview uh, with uh, Blake Lemoyne, um, you know, in the last week. And, you know, I, one of the things I can't help but think about, you know, is that a lot of people already work for software. Uh, you know, our software is telling us what to do, and it's been this evolution of these systems of action that are driving it. But that's a productivity and it's an efficiency thing, and I think it's one of these things that is inevitable, and it will certainly go too far, like we've seen with some of the data capture um, on the digital advertisers. Uh, but I still think we're relatively early in the adoption of these systems, uh, and it's been a pretty exciting place to invest. All right. Robert Cantwell, Upholdings, always good to have you with us. Thank you, Robert, for stopping by. Meantime, TikTok rival Triller still going public, but on its own. The U.S. video sharing app filed paperwork for an initial public offering of its Class A common stock with the SEC. This after ending its $5 billion merger with the video ad software provider SeaChange International. The merger termination is effective immediately with NASDAQ, a NASDAQ listing expected September. We've been, you know, you know, guided to believe that it could be, call it nine to 12 months on that decision. It could be a little bit longer, it could be a little bit shorter, but we hold strong in our common sense arguments around the ETF conversion um, and have a fantastic legal bench that will be arguing this case on behalf of investors. 
Grayscale CEO Michael Schoenstein there with Bloomberg earlier. The crypto investment firm says it has sued the SEC after the agency rejected a bid to convert its Bitcoin trust into an ETF. Our own Shanali Basik here with more on this. Shanali, not necessarily unexpected, but what's next? Yeah, what's really interesting here, Emily, is that this is not only a big deal for Grayscale, where there was a huge demand from clients and customers to have this trust converted into an ETF, but a lot of frustration here that there are Bitcoin futures ETFs being approved when spot Bitcoin ETFs are not being approved at large. Of course, we know there are many of them that are waiting uh, for approval, planning on filing again. You know, I think back to a conversation I had, for example, with Anthony Scaramucci that really had talked a lot about how an approval of an ETF like this could really start to have a huge inflow of more institutional money, for example, into Bitcoin. And of course, uh, this is a huge roadblock, not just for the crypto community, but for Grayscale itself that now has a trust that's trading well below its net asset value, uh, 30% or more below its net asset value. It had a big drop off today as well. And this will be for Grayscale a, a, a long road ahead, another 12 months or so to work through a loss, uh, lawsuit, according to both Bloomberg Intelligence and the company itself. Also, some not good news for CoinFlex. You and I interviewed the CEO, Mark Lamb, exclusively earlier this week about their withdrawal transaction issues, said that those would be over by today uh, and that he was very confident uh, that he'd be able to get that done. Take a listen to what he had to tell us back on Monday. Yeah, I, I'm highly confident. We have uh, we have spoken to people nonstop on on phone calls and in-person meetings uh, since this issue arose, and um, we have more than half of the uh, the amount needed in soft commitments to uh, to get this done. Well, today, Shanali Coinflex came out and said they aren't going to be able to make the deadline. What happened? Yeah, I think it's really interesting, Emily, both for Coinflex and also for an entire industry that is suffering through liquidity issues, other companies as well. Remember, when it comes to Coinflex itself, since that interview that we did on Monday, we have Roger Ver coming out and saying that he has no debt to Coinflex and being reported as uh, the big customer that we've been talking about that had a margin call when it came to Coinflex. So this dispute between Roger Ver and Coinflex Flex itself made this token offering, which was supposed to make that kind of margin call issue whole again, difficult in terms of both raising money and making other customers whole and restarting withdrawals again. Let's move over just really quickly here to talk about another company, Celsius, which also paused withdrawals about two weeks ago. How all these companies are restructuring is fascinating. They came out with a blog post today also saying that they're discussing both strategic transactions as well as restructuring uh, their liabilities, but not a lot of detail there on what that could necessarily look like. Of course, there's a third firm, there's BlockFi as well, hmm. and a lot of news around Sam Bankman-Fried and FTX uh, nearing a deal to acquire it as this industry starts to get out of the slump. Indeed. All stories we're going to continue to follow. Bloomberg Shanali Basik, thank you as always. All right, more now on the impact of the crypto plunge on the world of chips, and especially one chip maker in particular, that is NVIDIA. I want to bring in Bloomberg Cecilia D'Anastasio on this. And, of course, we've seen Bitcoin fall below $19,000 a couple of times over the last two weeks. This is not just not good for crypto investors, but also NVIDIA, which made a big bet on this technology. Tell us what's happening. Sure. So the crypto boom generated a lot of interest in NVIDIA's um, game cards, which typically gamers use to play really like 
high-resolution video games on their computers. Crypto miners, however, um, do create cryptocurrencies, uh, particularly Ethereum, through use of the game cards themselves. So there was a huge rush on the cards in 2020, along with a boom in crypto. Um, Unfortunately, now that crypto has crashed, NVIDIA itself has experienced some of that sort of um, hangover. So what's next for NVIDIA? Yeah, How will NVIDIA, this change their strategy? NVIDIA has danced back and forth between kind of um, working with crypto and sort of distancing itself from crypto. Gamers are its primary market and the crypto industry is extremely volatile. So right now NVIDIA is kind of trying to detach themselves from that industry and market primarily to gamers. All right, uh, story we're going to continue to follow. Bloomberg Cecilia D'Anastasio. Cecilia, as always, thanks for joining. Coming up, we're going to take a peek at the summer season with 4th of July travel about to get underway en masse. Will the flight cancellation nightmares continue? We'll have that and more with Peak CEO and co-founder Rizwana Bashir next. This is Bloomberg. What if everyone at work were an expert communicator? What if every doc, message and email they wrote was perfectly clear and concise? Inbox numbers would drop, customer satisfaction scores would rise, and everyone would be more productive. That's where Grammarly comes in. Grammarly is a secure AI writing partner that understands your business and can transform it through better communication. Companies that use Grammarly save an average of 19 days per employee per year. That's because with Grammarly's AI, what used to take a few hours only takes a few clicks, like generating an instant first draft in your company voice, or tailoring a message to your specific audience and goals. And Grammarly's personalized on-brand writing help is built in everywhere your team works, across 500,000 apps and websites. Plus, it's safe, secure, and already IT-approved. Join 70,000 teams who trust Grammarly with their words and their data. Learn more at Grammarly.com. Grammarly. Easier said. Done. Success is more than a destination. It's a path you take one step at a time. It's dedication, it's fortitude, and it's the work, passion, and grit inside of us that comes before all recognition. That's what Stiefel has been doing for over 130 years, and it's why Stiefel is one of the fastest-growing wealth management firms in the country. And Stiefel goes beyond traditional wealth management to offer you a full suite of banking services, direct access to one of the industry's largest equity research franchises, and a leading middle market investment bank. Quietly, yet strategically, Stiefel has built a company and culture unlike any firm on Wall Street. Because success is the drive it takes to keep pushing. It's the passion to keep investing. It's the best of each of us made better by the best in all of us. And that is where success meets success. Find a financial advisor at Stiefel.com. That's S-T-I-F-E-L.com. Stiefel, Nicholas & Company, Incorporated. Member SIPC and NYSE. Airbnb shares fell to a record low amid heavy travel disruptions in Europe as major airports asked carriers to cut capacity. Shares closed down more than 5% after data showed U.S. consumer spending fell in May for the first time this year. Airbnb is down more than 46% so far this year despite economies reopening and leisure travel returning around the world. 
Meantime, the holiday travel nightmare is back with a vengeance. Flights across the board are being canceled from Europe to Canada to the United States due to the strain on global airlines. As airlines are having a tough time scaling back up to quickly meet booming demand post-pandemic. For more on this and trends to see ahead, Roswana Bashir joins us. She's the CEO and co-founder of the booking software and marketplace Peak. Rizwana, great to have you back here on the show. So what's your take on this global travel debacle and how long this goes on for? Yeah, I think, um, unfortunately, we've all seen it. Um, flights normally get canceled at a rate of about 1.3%. Um, right now, they've already doubled year over year since last year. And, you know, very recently, we've seen that go up to about 5% uh, flights being canceled in the last couple of weeks and, um, you know, and, and a huge amount of delays. As you've seen, there are big labor shortages going on and about almost a quarter of flights are seeing major delays, especially in hubs like Chicago, New York, uh, Dallas, Miami, Los Angeles. And so this is a serious thing. You know, we've got nearly 50 million Americans who are planning to do some uh, 4th of July travel. Um, people do not want to put that off despite some of the, the challenges in the economy. And so um, we will see record levels of people going out and traveling again. Um, but the disruptions are here uh, and pretty serious and something to bear in mind if you're planning to travel right now. So what are you expecting to happen over this holiday week? Trends you're spotting in particular? Yeah, you know, we are definitely seeing that that, uh, that the the amount of uh, international uh, travel and flight travel is much higher than it's been in the COVID era. I would also say that you know local experiences are up a lot, and the kind of things I think that we've seen people uh, seeing as the top Fourth of July experiences have definitely been things uh, that might be considered a little bit more special. So shark diving in Miami, um, <laughs> being able to go kayaking on the Chicago River. Um, there are also some really uh, cool and interesting experiences. Uh, jet skiing around the Statue of Liberty. And so definitely a lot of stuff, people getting outdoors on the water, making the most of the summer weather. Um, but, you know, with 50 million Americans traveling, you're going to be seeing very, very busy uh, attractions and experiences as well as airports. And, and, uh, and I think, you know, you're going to see very congested highways as well. Road trips will be up. Shark diving in Miami. That sounds fun. Um, Look, you just won the Entrepreneur of the Year Award from EY. Congratulations on that. Peak also just um, launched a partnership with Jeff JetBlue. What are your priorities for the year against the context, the, the backdrop of what's happening in the macro economy? Yeah, you know, I think what we've seen, you know, for, for us as a business, you know, we're, we're basically Shopify for experiences. We help people book fun things to do and we provide software for small businesses and large businesses to be able to get online. And so certainly the last couple of years, we saw that our businesses and the partners that we work with were hit pretty hard, right? And so we've had a lot of scale, nearly $2 billion of experiences through the platform. And you definitely saw that over the last couple of years, there were winners and losers. As we come out of the COVID pandemic, we are definitely seeing that consumers want to travel and they want to do experiences. And despite some of the things that we've seen um, with inflation and some of the recessionary kind of dynamics that we're seeing play out, uh, people are still wanting to do that. And so we're not seeing that go away. Certainly for us, you know, uh, a few months ago, we just uh, closed uh, an $80 million round led by Westcap and, uh, and uh, Goldman Sachs um, with the former CFO of Airbnb, Lawrence Tosi, joining our board. And so we're seeing a lot of momentum in our space and we're seeing a lot of opportunity. Um, and I think as we go 
into this next phase, um, you know, of the next year, we are definitely helping empower our operators and partners that we work with to be able to get through, um, you know, what will, I think, be some more challenging macroeconomic conditions. Um, in this environment... Uh, interesting ahead. that uh, Lawrence Tosi, the CFO of Airbnb, of course, former CFO, joined your board. You know, we just heard about the stock there being down. How do you distinguish, you know, peak and the future of the business from what we're seeing with a company like Airbnb, which, you know, can be some sort of a barometer for consumer sentiment? Like, you know, how are you as an entrepreneur um, and what advice are you getting from investors about how to weather, uh, you know, a potentially significant downturn? Yeah, I think that um, I think one of the things that's very interesting about our business is that you know. First, we were profitable when we raised this $80 million round. And so we're a rare kind of, I think, tech business that had taken unit economics and profitability very seriously. And so we're actually in a fantastic position today around being able to continue to invest in growing our platform and, and helping our businesses get through this. I think also, you know, our focus has actually been on the software side. So rather like Shopify, we're working with thousands of businesses and helping them take their, their you know, their business online, allowing their own website to be able to have real-time availability and online booking. And so in doing so, the average business that partners with us sees their revenues increase by about 30%. And they see um, them saving a ton of time, hours and hours of automation that we provide. And so I think as we go into this macroeconomic climate, we're hearing from large businesses like museums all the way through to smaller businesses saying, we know that the bottom line really matters now. And it matters to us that we find ways to cut costs and, and grow our top line in an environment where perhaps there won't be as many travelers rather like COVID, but there will be a local substitution effect. We think that people still need these moments of connection and joy. And what Peak really specializes in is everyday adventure. So the average experience on our platform costs about $50 to $100 per ticket. And so this is an environment where we will see businesses needing to make this leap forward on automation and technology, which helps them save costs. Um, but we'll also be seeing, I think, consumers um, not maybe being able to do as many of these big trips, you know, this summer being a place where a lot of people were able to go out and do that and moving to local experiences within about okay. 50 miles to be able to do fun things close to home. Museums, ice cream, sounds great to me. Ruzwana Bashir, CEO of Peak. Good to have you back with us. Thank you for stopping by. The real reason that diverse fintech CEOs don't get these dollars relates to the fact that women and diverse leaders control a very small percentage of the 330 billion venture capital dollars spent just last year. Broadly speaking, 86% of investment decision makers are men. Given that venture capital is very much a pattern matching business, investors often back companies and people who are most like themselves. Welcome back to Bloomberg Technology. I'm Emily Chang in San Francisco. That was just a taste of a hearing held earlier by the House Financial Services Committee called Combating Tech Bro Culture. It's something that I've been researching and reporting on for a few years, and I want to talk more about the ongoing issue with the person who led that hearing today, Democratic Congressman Stephen Lynch. Uh, Representative Lynch, thank you so much for joining us. I'm so curious what led you to take on this issue. What do you think Washington can do about decades of sexism in the tech industry. Well, first of all, thank you, Emily. I know you've done a lot of work in this area, and uh, I've, I've heard you on, on previous shows commenting on this issue. 
So uh, the numbers are stunning here. As, as Sally Krawcheck in your, your earlier recording demonstrated, uh, the billions of dollars going out the door every year for uh, from venture capital firms to fintech startups, I think it's less than 2% go to women. Uh, 1% perhaps go to uh, black uh, entrepreneurs. Uh, you know, less than 2% to Latinx founders. So the, the, the numbers are just stunning to see uh, that the, the bulk of this money never m reaches any, any minority or, or women uh, founders. So we had this problem years ago in the banking industry. They used to have redlining. And this is sort of a redlining, what they're doing here. So uh, back in the day, a lot of banks would never invest in those redlined areas. Largely, they were minority areas. And so what Congress did back then was we passed the Community Reinvestment Act. And we one of the things we did was we created a scorecard, a report card that allowed depositors and, and investors to realize how that institution was doing in terms of their investment in minority areas, because that's something that socially we thought was uh, the right thing to do. So I think what we need to do is the same thing with venture capital. I think we need to give them a scorecard. I think the SEC needs to track how well uh, you know, inclusionary measures are adopted by these VC firms so that, that, that women and minority uh, founders can participate. Interesting. Uh, Sally Krawcheck, longtime former banking executive, founder now of a company called Elvest, also testified at the hearing today. We pulled a portion of her testimony. Take a listen to what she had to say. The real issue is that few fintechs center on women's needs, a direct result of women entrepreneurs starved of funding. As a result, your women constituents invest less of their money than men do losing out on historic market returns and costing them hundreds of thousands, for some women millions of dollars over the course of their lives. And it's run, one reason why the gender wealth gap is at 32 cents to a white man's dollar and one penny for black women, and it's been widening. In hearing the personal stories of some of these founders, Congressman, what was most alarming to you about what you heard today? Well, you know, I think that how hard they, and we had several successful uh, startup entrepreneurs that, that came before the committee, and hearing how hard they had to work and uh, going to 30, 30 different interviews and, and basically begging for investment in their, their products, uh, you know, you could see how hard they had to fight to break through. And, and, and that that not only denied them the opportunity, but they had great ideas. They had great substantive ideas that, that actually were a great benefit to society in general. So uh, we've got to find a way to, to you know, break, break through or, or, or just make uh, these VC companies more aware of what's out there. Uh, oftentimes, they're, they're supporting, you know, hundreds of different uh, ventures hoping that one of them might pop, might be successful. Yet uh, in that process, they're totally ignoring uh, many of the viable substantive uh, proposals made by women and minority founders. Silicon Valley has made some progress since Silicon Valley's own version of the Me Too movement. Now, five years ago, I wrote about this in my book, Brotopia, Breaking Up the Boys Club of Silicon Valley. But obviously, I think most people would agree not enough progress certainly has been made. I know uh, Congresswoman Maxine Waters, the chair of the Financial Services Committee, made a surprise appearance today. Would you say that there is broad consensus across Congress that 
more diversity in the financial technology sector is critical? I think so. I, you know, we had a we had a bipartisan uh, hearing today. I, I, I welcome the comments of my Republican colleagues, Mr. Davidson of Ohio and Mr. Style from Wisconsin, uh, both staunch Republicans, uh, conservative, but they realize that this is good good for business by by including those ideas and they they acknowledge that the uh, the the work of some of our minority founders who were testifying today was was very, very important to the industry at large. And so you know that, that that's you know diversity is is good for the economy as well as a, a social good all right well it's certainly interesting to hear some of the things that you're working on ways that congress could act congressman stephen lynch thank you so much for thank joining you, us and for taking on this issue i want to continue the conversation now with a woman who has spoken up about bro culture in tech and venture capital sarah kunst she is the managing director at clio capital she's been vocal about the sexual harassment she had to face in this industry she was a character in my book so i appreciate you and and you using your voice in that instance it's now been about five years since you spoke up and your actions actually led to consequences for one particular individual. But how much progress do you think has actually been made in the last five years? You know, unfortunately, I don't think a lot of progress has been made, right? Um, I think that now when women speak up, they're believed more. I think that people know that, you know, this is a problem, but you look at the actual numbers, as the Congressman was saying earlier, they're really, really bad for both race and gender and they're even worse at the intersection when you look at the number of, of black and Hispanic women who are VCs who get VC funding it is almost non-existent I am almost a rounding error right and then you know you look at what's still being upheld people like Elon Musk the richest man in the world CEO of I can't even count how many tech companies right now trying to add Twitter to that and he was just credibly accused of sexual harassment on the job and the response was to fire the employees who had a problem with that so, you know, have we really come that far? I don't think so. How much does the thought of Elon Musk owning Twitter concern you? Honestly, I'm kind of relieved because it might actually force me to log off Twitter forever. <laughs> okay. Now, we heard part of Sally Krawcheck's testimony there. You are actually an investor in Elvest, and I'm sure that you're very familiar with her own experiences as a woman on Wall Street and then Silicon Valley. What are you seeing through the eyes of entrepreneurs like her in terms of the barriers that still exist? I mean... Sally Krawcheck is one of the most famous women in banking, and it's still hard for her to raise and get the same valuations that a guy in a hoodie can get for a half-baked idea. That's that. There's something wrong with this system, and you know, there's not enough diverse investors. There aren't enough female investors. There aren't enough investors of color who can turn around and and you know recognize you know greatness when they see it in their peers. And and so you know things need to change on a lot of levels because we're just missing out on so much money in the economy, so much wealth generation, because we're not funding nearly enough people who aren't white dudes. Now, a congressional memorandum actually called out three major players in investing in technology, Andreessen Horowitz, Y Combinator, and Sequoia. What do you make of that? And, and have they made any, any strides? Certainly some of those firms have added some more women partners since Me Too. Yeah, you know, I think that, that to some extent they were calling them out as examples of, hey, here's what exists in the ecosystem. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I think that, that 
there are a lot of the legacy firms that are trying to improve. Mm. They're hiring more women. They're launching earlier stage programs where you often see more diversity you know, come from versus just doing later stage. But I think that the entire industry has a long way to go. If only those three firms were underweight on diversity <laughs> numbers, this wouldn't be a problem. The reality is the entire industry is behind. Okay, so what does, what needs to be done to make real change and not, and, and not maintain the status quo. I mean, there's yeah. obviously something to be said for being a bad actor in the system. There's also something to be said for just accepting the status mm -hmm. quo. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, I think we've gotten some bad actors out over time over the last five years, in large part thanks to books like yours. But there's a lot of, like, call it not so great actors that remain. And I think that the question is, how do you make it clear that you have to have a diverse investment team? If you're a limited partner, if you're a university endowment or a pension, you have to deploy capital to diverse investors or funds that have diverse investors, and you have to back diverse founders. And those are the three things that just have to happen. There was a lot of concern that women would backslide during the pandemic. We saw women leave the workforce. Women you know, were often the first to leave and take care of their families. Are you concerned that that's going to happen again in this current Oh yeah, downturn. it always happens. It always happens, right? We see this time and time again. Um, you know, what we're going to see is that the funds that struggle to raise are going to be disproportionately, you know, women and people of color led. Uh, you know, that the companies that struggle to raise will be the same. That you know, when those companies fail, it'll be seen as sort of a, a moral fail failing rather than market conditions. You know, black founders had a, a slight uptick in funding in 2021 following the Black Lives Matters protests, and and that's gone. And you know, with markets conditions the way they are, I think it's incredibly hard to assume that it's going to be a good year to be a woman or a person of color in this industry. What are you seeing behind the scenes in, in the downturn? What's happening with you know, you know private rounds, valuations, layoffs? You know there have been some layoffs, and I think that you know the goal of layoffs is always you know cut once, cut, cut deep enough that you don't have to keep doing it. And I think we'll see in coming months if that's been true mm -hmm. for a lot of these tech companies. There's a massive amount of hiring slowdowns, and you know with my own companies, I'm seeing a lot of inside rounds. So they're not the splashy headline-grabbing rounds, but you know founders are quietly going going to their existing investors or a few new ones and saying, hey, you know, I'm going to bring in, you know, 10 million more, 20 million more, you know, at the kind of series A or B level, you know, just to tide us over so that we have three years of runway instead of 18 months because we could be in this downturn for a long time. Are investors open to that? I think investors are doing it hand over fist. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I think it's even going to be an interesting opportunity for some of the hedge fund crossover funds because you're now looking at companies where they're raising at, you know, massive discounts to where you might have thought they would have been six months ago. And, you know, if you have dry powder, which venture capital has been raising historic amounts of money over the last few years, there's a lot of dry powder. And I think people are going to deploy it to get some deals. All right. Sarah Kunst, Clio Capital Managing Director. It's great to have you back. Thank you, Thank you as always, for your voice in this conversation. Coming up, we're going to talk more about sexism in that different part of the tech industry that is crypto. I'm going to be joined by Tegan Klein, a crypto investor and a founder. Her perspective next. This is Bloomberg. What if everyone at work were an expert communicator? What if every doc, message and email they wrote was perfectly clear and concise? Inbox numbers would drop, customer satisfaction scores would rise and everyone would be more productive. That's where Grammarly comes in. Grammarly is a secure AI writing partner that understands your business and can transform it through better communication. Companies that use Grammarly save an average of 19 days per employee per year. That's because with Grammarly's AI, what used to take a few hours only takes a few clicks. 
like generating an instant first draft in your company voice or tailoring a message to your specific audience and goals. And Grammarly's personalized on-brand writing help is built in everywhere your team works, across 500,000 apps and websites. Plus, it's safe, secure, and already IT-approved. Join 70,000 teams who trust Grammarly with their words and their data. Learn more at Grammarly.com. Grammarly. Easier said. Done. Success is more than a destination. It's a path you take one step at a time. It's dedication. It's fortitude. And it's the work, passion, and grit inside of us that comes before all recognition. That's what Stiefel has been doing for over 130 years, and it's why Stiefel is one of the fastest-growing wealth management firms in the country. And Stiefel goes beyond traditional wealth management to offer you a full suite of banking services, direct access to one of the industry's largest equity research franchises, and a leading middle market investment bank. Quietly, yet strategically, Stiefel has built a company and culture unlike any firm on Wall Street. Because success is the drive it takes to keep pushing. It's the passion to keep investing. It's the best of each of us, made better by the best in all of us. And that is where success meets success. Find a financial advisor at Stiefel.com. That's S-T-I-F-E-L.com. Stiefel, Nicholas & Company, Incorporated. Member SIPC and NYSE. Time now for our crypto report. And as we've seen, Bitcoin is on track for its worst quarter in more than a decade. This as a string of high-profile blow-ups crush confidence in the sector. Its 58% plunge is the largest since the third quarter of 2011. And according to data compiled by Bloomberg. Are we nearing the bottom? Let's bring in Tegan Klein's read on all of this. She's the co-founder of The Edge and Node, the company behind the graph protocol. Think of them as the Google of blockchains. Tegan, thank you so much for joining us. I do want to talk about your personal experiences as a founder and investor in this space. But first, let's get a comment on the market. Bitcoin dipping below $19,000 for the second time in two weeks. It's all looking a bit grim. How much longer does it last? Yeah, I know. There was quite a bit of a liquidation cascade and generally that will take six to nine months to recover but the exciting thing that i'm seeing is that centralized finance is what broke it's not DeFi that broke or decentralized finance and decentralized finance actually held up very well and so i think that there's actually a big opportunity right now to get involved in the crypto space for many of the viewers that haven't yet especially within bitcoin and ethereum because the development in ethereum has continued we're seeing developers at the highest point we've ever seen and there's so many brilliant minds coming back into the space so the fundamentals are quite strong now you started your career on wall street and left to join the crypto industry how would you compare and contrast those two cultures oh yes very different i would say that my time on wall street um they, it, it's it's very different very different personalities a lot of very strong personalities on wall street um sharky behavior which does exist within the crypto space as well but when it comes to the protocol layer and the builders um i've actually had a lot of really great and friendly experiences in this space um and when it comes to women in the crypto space i think many are there to really lift other women up which wasn't my direct experience and and on Wall Street, unfortunately. So would bro culture be a fair characterization of Wall Street and not of crypto culture? 
I would say in my experience, yes, very much so. Um, it does still exist within the crypto space. There are a lot of tech VCs from Silicon Valley that bring that culture in and they also invest in founders that are a little bit more bro culture. But the great thing is that in crypto, you have crypto native VCs and many of those crypto native VCs are really open to more diversity and they have an emphasis around diversity, but also um, a diversity of ideas and also founders. Um, so that's an exciting piece within the, the Web3 and crypto space. So how do we keep the trend going then, whether it's more female executives at crypto companies, getting more women investing in cryptocurrency in general? I mean, wouldn't that all help keep the crypto industry from falling into the same trap that tech has over all of these decades? Absolutely. I think that that's a really important point. I think we need to we need to invest in women and we also need to get women on the cap tables so that companies are taking female um, investors as well. It's so often that I see cap tables that are all men. And I think when we see that, we have a responsibility to call it out, not just as women, but also as men. Men need to add women to their cap tables and other men need to call out that kind of behavior. And then it's also important to hire strong women that support other strong women. Uh, I think, and, and adding women to leadership roles within companies. And that's one thing that I've really taken seriously as a founder within the space. It's important to bring really strong, uh, bring strong women into the company and, and leadership roles and, and give women power. What are some big misconceptions about the crypto industry that we should break open to get more women involved? Yeah, I think one big misconception is that you have to be technical. You have to be an engineer. You don't. You can. There are many different roles and we welcome female engineers and female coders into the space, of course, but we also need um, we need marketing we need designers we need people that raise capital and so every skill set that exists in the world is also needed within the crypto space and there are so many different communities in the crypto space that you can belong to um, different communities across many different asset classes and use cases now we were speaking with congressman Stephen Lynch earlier who just chaired this hearing on combating bro culture in fintech what would you like to to see from Congress? What could Congress do that would make a difference? Yeah, it's unfortunate that Congress has to step in here and that we're not self-regulating and do this ourselves uh, because I think that we are very much capable and it does feel like we are on a positive trend. Um, but I would like to see all of this kind of called out when, when you see bad behaviors. Having women on your show, you're a great example of this, of raising, raising other women up. But there are some conferences where it's only male panelists or only male speakers. So when we see that kind of behavior, I think it's important to call it out. Tegan Klein, co-founder of Edge and Node. Tegan, thank you so much for joining us thank to share your perspective and breaking open some of those stereotypes. All right, much more ahead. Stay with us. This is Bloomberg. other stories we continue to watch. Amazon was dealt a blow in federal court after allowing a female employee to move forward with a discrimination complaint in California. This woman claims Amazon offered her husband, quote, substantially more in wages when applying for the same job, despite the couple's comparable qualifications and experience. She also says the company retaliated against her for filing this wage discrimination complaint, refusing to interview her for a promotion and being denied scheduling changes. 
Also, a former Apple lawyer pled guilty to insider trading between 2011 and 2016. According to these charges, Gene Levoff traded on confidential revenue and earnings. Over his decade-long career at Apple, Levoff was one of the most senior executives reporting directly to the company's general counsel. Apple fired Levoff in September 2018 after placing him on leave. And that does it for this edition of Bloomberg Technology. Do not forget to check out our podcast. You can find it anywhere you get your podcasts. I'm Emily Chang in San Francisco. This is Bloomberg. To address our new climate reality, the world needs radical solutions. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment, hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.